can say they haven't dreamed of throwing all of their responsibilities behind and renting an apartment with a view of the Seine. Why not move to Paris? Work on that novel you've always pushed to the back burner. To the American, Paris is marketed as a playground for one's innermost desires and creative fantasies. It's the entire premise driving Woody Allen's 2011 film Midnight in Paris, which exploits an idea, one that I might add is embraced without any context and only a little irony, that the City of Lights is a snail shell-shaped labyrinth of magic. I can see myself living here. I feel like the Parisians kind of get me. I can see myself just strolling along the left bank with a baguette under my arm, headed to Cafe de Florida, scribble away on my book. And these days, during a year where travel scorned, tourism dead, and wanderlust more profound than ever, Paris's magic bug has bitten many of us. Notably, it seems that everybody's got an opinion these days about this. Because, because this city is filled with, with love and, and romance and light and beauty and passion and, and sex, which... This is Myth of Paris. I'm your host, Keely Sullivan. And today, we're talking about Americans in Paris, specifically one named Emily. Created by the minds of Sex and the City and Younger, Emily in Paris rocketed to streaming stardom last October for its glamorous portrayal of Paris's fashion scene and the misadventures of Emily, a young American marketing executive who moves to Paris without any understanding of French culture, language, or customs. Nonetheless, none of that seems to stop our headstrong protagonist. She barrels her way through the city, bringing her maladroit American brazenness to every situation. And to surprising success, it's the American dream to charm your way through any culture, especially when it's in the name of living your Parisian fantasy. But this mentality comes with a price, according to French-American journalist Lindsay Tremuda. Lindsay's lived in Paris for almost 15 years. Her newest book, The New Parisienne, combats one-note stereotypes attributed to idealized Parisian women. It's no secret shows like Emily in Paris thrive on reinforcing stereotypes, but how harmful can they actually be? In much the same way that thinking that all Americans are uncultured and, you know, don't have passports and aren't curious about other cultures in the world is very harmful to, you know, very curious and, and worldly Americans. For Paris and its people, I do think that it creates a false understanding and creates expectations that cannot possibly be met. Few cities, I think, in the world really um, have really been built up in the way that Paris has. Emily in Paris seems like it's working overtime to build the Paris hype even more. From Emily meeting a hot philosophy professor at a tourist trap to being told everyone in Paris has a romantic side piece, cliches seem to fuel our protagonist's thirst for the city. This runs the risk of reducing characters and sets to no more than props for the American's fantasy. To separate fantasy from reality once and for all, we asked Lindsay to watch scenes from the show and comment on how they depict the American expat experience. Like this one, for example, where Emily grabs a pain au chocolat, essentially a chocolate pastry, at her local bakery. Uh, un pain au chocolat. Un, pas une, un pain au chocolat. Merci, have a bon journée. Une, 
I mean, it's just so obnoxious. You know, at the very least, a boulangerie is the place to practice, you know, your four words of French. I do, I do see people, people who have just moved here for work, who make more of an effort than that. So what's this, what do you think this tells us about how Emily in Paris thinks it's appropriate to approach the language barrier? Oh, that it's, it's you know, sort of a, a very insignificant hurdle because in any case, Americans are, you know, the superpower. They're in a superior position. English is the global language. And she's been sent there for her very unique, apparently, American perspective. And therefore, why does she need to make an effort? And what about the expat experience that we really see through Emily? And I know I, I can personally say, as an American who moved here, there were a couple of things that made me chuckle. You know, her fumbling around in the dark looking for a light switch in her apartment building. I remember it took me actual several months to finally get used to the whole rez-de-chaussée idea and how floors work. Was there anything that to you came out as perhaps a truthful experience? For sure, I think the the dynamic with the gardienne I thought I thought was actually hysterical because I've only known gardienne with that kind of personality and you know very suspicious of everyone. Pourquoi elle casse tout comme ça? Elle peut me le dire pourquoi elle casse tout? Very much trying to you know you have to really get them on your side. They're they're distrustful. They don't want to have to. Lindsay's talking about property managers. You know, not that I. But but really, that was the big one. You know, the fact that she doesn't even take the metro, and I know there are people who plop into Paris and don't take the metro, but generally they're vacationers. But, you know, the expat experience, I think we need to establish one thing, and that's also that expats, as a word, it's a very privileged situation to be in. You are, in theory, here for a set amount of time. The idea is that this probably will not be your home, your permanent home. And there's this idea of being able to dip in and dip out and not ever have to go through the process of full integrations. But she, in her very comfortable remove of, you know, this corporate expat life is touching maybe 2% of the surface of, of what this existence really is. And so I think it's, it can be very tricky for an outsider to see this who thinks, oh, I could, I could maybe get myself transferred to Paris or, you know, stay for a year. So this is something Emily actually gets called out for in episode three. Her boss, Sylvie, at the Parisian marketing firm has had enough of Emily's brazen attitude. You come to Paris, you walk into my office, you don't even bother to learn the language. You treat the city like it's your amusement park. And after a year of food, sex, so this was this was certainly the most truthful moment of the whole <laughs> the whole show. Um, I mean, what she said is spot on. That is exactly how Emily is treating it, and that's exactly how other foreigners have come to Paris and treated it. And I'm not just saying Americans. So when you moved to Paris, what was your experience like? Was it easy? Hard? I came when I was in undergrad, but I do remember feeling that there were just so many options, so many things to do, so many things to see that made it feel like one endless, I mean, not vacation because I had school and I had responsibilities, but there was this element of surrealism in the everyday, I think, that, that made it feel quite special. But then very quickly, you end up having to go through the administrative and bureaucratic hurdles that make it feel very real and very trying and, and can be very isolating. In Emily's case, this glow you mentioned never really goes away. 
This is the only moment in the show where we really see her get checked. But she doesn't learn. She doesn't learn from this still. And that's the other pro- so that that's the problem we we mentioned before. It's that they had enough good sense to have Sylvie's character make these remarks and yet planned zero follow-up on Emily's behalf. <laughs> so Emily isn't exactly our model expat. Maybe she's who we should aspire against becoming. While we were talking to Lindsay, my producer Lauren actually raised an excellent question. How can we avoid acting like Emily? Sylvie gave her plenty of opportunity to adjust herself. Like, okay, maybe you thought this was going to fly here. I'm going to give you some, some words of advice or some feedback. And you would think that Emily being as smart as she proclaims to be, that she would really observe her surroundings and observe the way her colleagues are interacting with other people. Instead, she just sort of plows right through and doesn't second guess herself. And then it's also about reading. You know, read, there are plenty, you know, especially a culture like France, there's plenty of existing material on cultural codes and, 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 and how to better interact with other people. Did she do any of that reading? Not that we know of. She followed Rosetta Stone on, on a plane ride, and that's about it. Here's another way to analyze your Paris-based media. How do the places they mention stack up to real life? At the beginning of our show, we played a Midnight in Paris clip that mentioned Café de Flore. It's a pretty well-known cafe that also appears in Emily in Paris. I think I'm cool. You're sitting at the coolest cafe in all of Paris. At least historically. I asked Lindsay what to make of that. In a normal time, it's full of tourists uh, because it's in all the tourist books. But it is, it is overpriced. It is purely about, about people watching, which in itself is not a problem. But it's, it's the idea of equating almost a monument to Paris cafe culture to being cool, you know, I think that gives the wrong impression of, of what kind of place it is. While a binge of season one might not tell you what it's like to live in the City of Lights, Emily in Paris is nonetheless unapologetic about the image it's sending. It has no interest in clinical portrayals of Parisian life. Instead, it's an escapist, arguably dated, tale of glamour, romance, and fantasy. Maybe we're not supposed to take Emily in Paris so seriously after all. That's what creator Darren Starr thinks, who defended his show for giving his viewers a taste of magic, especially when real-life treats, like a pain au chocolat, are out of reach for many this year. But the dilemma of the Paris myth is that it dominates the media scene. For many Americans, this is what Paris means to them. Full stop. And despite a lot of negative reviews, many loved the show. It has an overall positive Rotten Tomatoes audience rating of 60%. The show was so popular that Netflix greenlit a second season just a month after they dropped season one. And maybe before booking their next French getaway, Paris fans should heed the warning of Emily's boss. This city is not an amusement park. And Emily in Paris is not a tourist ad. for listening to Myth of Paris. This podcast is hosted by me, Keely Sullivan. Reporting and producing by Lauren Bain, Tatiana Sorova, and I. The song, Paris Ballad, was performed by Dana Boulay. 
You can watch Emily in Paris season one now, available on Netflix.